0: You know, tax dollars to a to a religious school or whatever. Never mind the fact that we have the Pell Grant program, which you can take and go to Notre Dame University, which is a Catholic university, or you know, to any of the uh, Christian universities, or that you can take a government student loan and go do that. Uh, but it seems like we've kind of finally broken through that silly argument that somehow. It's the tax dollar is important to not go to that. Have we, have we finally crossed that and we're over that now?
1: Yeah, so for a long time, yeah, that was the key argument. Uh, essentially, they were suing and saying the First Amendment uh, prohibits the establishment of a religion and these programs would establish whatever church you're going. Through. Yeah. And there was a string of lawsuits that all ended up at the Supreme Court that said that's the wrong interpretation of the First Amendment. The First Amendment says you can't compel somebody they have to learn a certain religion. Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank.
0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of American Potential. One of the stories I think we've talked the most about is the transformation really going on in America in K through 12 education. It's just become a topic that so many Americans are talking about. There are some states that have passed laws that we've talked a lot about on this show, which is educational savings accounts. They allow a student and parent to choose where the child will be educated and go to school. Now, some of these choices are homeschooling, co-ops, hybrid schools, micro schools, private schools, and even in the state of Florida, it can even go towards a public school, one organization called Yes, Every Kid is working to change the nation's education system from its current standardized approach to one grounded in serving the unique needs of every individual student. Today's guest is a skilled lobbyist and political tactician, and he's worked to unite broad and diverse coalitions to transform policy ranging from food trucks to Social Security. I want to welcome my friend, who I've known for a long time, Andrew Clark, who's the president of Yes Every Kid and was involved in the founding of the organization. Andrew, thanks for being with us. Of course. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Great. Yeah. Well, we've known each other a long time. <laughs>
1: a very long
0: time. Yeah. I was trying to think, probably, what, 12 years? I mean, it's been been quite a while. Yeah. And you've done a lot of great stuff, but I think the stuff that you're doing right now with Yes, Every Kid is, you know, I I mentioned it transformational. America's at that moment, right? It's finally, I think COVID was a terrible time for our country, but coming out of COVID, we've seen so much transformational policy passed uh, on education, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and policy is always downstream of culture, and I think what happened during COVID is parents experienced The the awakening to the reality that a lot of low-income parents had always known, but high-income parents got to do it, which is that when you have a concern about school, if you're in a public school system too often, they're not willing to listen to you. And so when schools closed, it wasn't the logistics of what happened that caused people consternation. It was the fact that they would call <laughs> and say, hey, my kid's not thriving. I have a problem. Right. And they weren't able to get an answer there. So either the, the school wasn't listening to the parent or the school wasn't listening to the kid. And people realized, wow, this system's
0: way more broken than I ever thought it was. And there's a reason they weren't listening. There was nowhere else to go. Right. There's nowhere else to go. And it's just, you know, if you have one grocery store in a town, there's nowhere else to go they don't have good customer service, right? You so, got it. I mean, it's just that simple.
1: It is that simple.
0: It's, it's been really encouraging to see all the parents that have gotten involved, uh, both at the kind of the school board level, but also, you know, just in this fight. They've really picked it up, uh, the the mantle of this fight. And as you mentioned, people who have wealth and who have means have always been able to send their kid to another type of school. This is disproportionately hurt Uh, you know, minorities. It's disproportionately hurt people who don't really just don't have the means to get their kid out of a school. So so let's talk about some of the great things that have happened. Some of the states that have really, I mean, how many states now have ESAs? So you could count
1: it a variety of ways, but I usually say there's 10 states that have universal programs Mm -hmm. or some variation of those, meaning every kid in the state has access to that. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority of those have
0: unfolded in the last two years. So Giving access to about 10 million Who was kids? the first? I mean, obviously, we all remember Wisconsin <laughs> had their school choice program in Milwaukee. Yeah. We, we know the D.C. program, which we had Virginia Walden Ford on, and she talked about that. But but in this most recent batch that have done like either universal ESAs or really good ESA reform, Who's, who's the first?
1: West Virginia. Yeah. Right? Strangely, of yep. all the places. <laughs> of all the places. Which, which is uh, more interesting because if you remember back to 2018, you had this big movement called the Red for Ed movement yep. where teachers unions saw this opportunity to go to Republican states. Right. And to really take a political threshold by saying, we need more support for public education. And so they, they targeted three key states, West Virginia, Oklahoma, and Arizona. Mm-hmm. And they pushed this narrative very hard. And they were able to overcome. And, and Republicans in particular really went hard for that narrative. What's fascinating about the backlash to that effort is those three states, almost sequentially, were the exact same ones to go after education freedom. So West Virginia was first to go, followed by Arizona, and Oklahoma was not long after
0: that. Yeah. It, it really, this is really boils down to a question of who's in charge. Yeah. Is it going to be the parent and the child in charge of the child's education, or is it going to be the system? Yep. Right? I mean, isn't that ultimately what this is? Yeah,
1: this is this is free market economics 101, right? If the government's in charge, then the government's the customer. They make all the decisions. They decide what's good for you. And whether you want something different or not, they don't really care. It's not up to you. Whereas in a free market system, you're empowered, right? You're the boss. And so if you don't like something, you can change it in a dime. And as a result, you become the customer and everything that's in the society becomes geared to you. And so education is not an exception to that rule. It's an extremely good example of what happens when you do it the wrong way.
0: Yeah. And we have so many kids that are, you know, kids aren't the same. You, I mean, how many kids do you have now? Three. Three kids. Right. Um, we were just talking about, I watch you know, your kids, you you, and your family on uh, Facebook, and your kids are getting big. But your three kids are all probably very different. Yes? Wildly. Wildly different. <laughs> yes. So they shouldn't all be learn, learning the same. I don't want to go into a deep history lesson here, but, you know, America's educational system, K-12 through system, was an agricultural system where they built a little farmhouse, all the neighborhood kids went to the farmhouse. It, it sort of really grew out of that and became system-centric, didn't it?
1: Oh, for sure, yeah, and we... Um we could spend hours on that, but I give you the brief summary. If yeah. You want. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yeah. At the time when America was in schoolhouses and very small, we were the leading educational system in the world. <clears throat> and inevitably what happened is you get Frederick Taylor, who's kind of this uh, father or brainchild of the standardized systems that drive the industrial revolution he, he essentially argues the best way to be efficient in society is to disregard human beings. Human beings are flawed. They make mistakes. What we need to do is we need to discover an elite group of human beings who can design systems, disregard all the other human beings, and just get them to comply mm-hmm. to a set of standards. And they took that same model, this industrialized model, and applied it to education. And so they said, okay, we're going to put kids into a school building. We're going to organize it by the year they were born. We're going to organize what they were taught. We're going to just mandate they had everything and if the kid if it doesn't work for them we don't care that's not the design of the system right the system is intentionally to get them to comply and that's mm-hmm. what we want right and so they industrialized it and and look to the credit of the system you know uh, industrialization is the reason that bread cost five cents at one point right, right? right. as opposed to costing fifty dollars like it, right. it, that industrialized movement had its place in time and it's still but it comes at a huge cost and the cost is the human experience. And that's particularly true in education. We can talk about the experience in a classroom, and we should. But, um, <clears throat> you know, it, again, it disregards the interest of each human being. And and that comes, particularly when we are trying to develop human beings, that comes at the cost of their future and their livelihood. It's, it's not a very well-designed system.
0: Yeah. Them. George W. Bush uh, talked about leave no child behind. Yep. No child left behind. Um, and uh, ironically, I think they passed some legislation that actually to, continues to leave people behind. But that's ultimately what I think educational freedom is about, is not leaving any child behind, right? Yes. Giving them, as long as they have someone who's going to, as a child, help make good decisions for them about what's best for their education, they're going to they're flourish in a system like this, as opposed to, as you said, being put into an assembly line, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. The, the challenge with Taylorism is, that it has an assumption of an average, right? That we're going to design the system to meet the average experience. And of course, the problem is human beings aren't averages. <laughs> There's no such thing. And by design, you're basically saying if this system works for 80% of people, we're just going to discard 20%. Well, discarding 20% of kids is a big effing deal, right? Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> right. Uh, we shouldn't do that. And so instead, what we should do is think about how do we help each and every kid. And And that's Really foundational why we call our organization Yes Every Kid is we really should consider the needs of every individual student. And this is where free markets work much better than uh, government designs because, again, those government designs can't comply with everything, right? They have to go for an average. Let's, let's take a classroom as an example. You get 20 kids in a classroom. Everybody's in a different learning journey, and I'll use I'll use math because it's an easy example. Math is largely a dependency sequence. If you don't know how to add and subtract, it's going to be real hard to learn how to multiply and
0: divide, mm-hmm.
1: right? Every skill builds on top of each other. Yeah. So if you're in that classroom with 20 kids and you've already got addition and subtraction down, you're ready to move on. Um, <clears throat> and I've got another kid in there who's learning what his numbers are, <laughs> right? right? You've got a whole range of experience in a classroom, yep. and you're the teacher. What are you supposed to do? Right. You you can't if you uh, help the kid who's furthest ahead, <laughs> the poor kid who can't do the numbers, he's just gonna be clueless. He might as well be listening right. to speak Swahili. Yeah. Right. And there's no no benefit of that. And conversely, if you're helping the poor kid who's on the, the lower end of the spectrum, the kid who's more advanced is gonna be sitting there just twiddling their thumbs with nothing right. to do. Yep. And so that, that ability to teach to the average means you just end up discarding both of them. They're both sitting there being lost, yeah, right <laughs> there, and and so that's where again, what you want is we we've known from the time Aristotle and Plato, <laughs> they're like one-on-one instruction is where you get the most deal. You have to be able to meet every individual where they're at, or you're a loss. And that that's what a free market allows is for that kind of customization, where the government mandated system does not.
0: Yeah. So you've got a lot of states that have passed reforms, but you also have a lot of states that are very resistant to reforms. Um, There are teachers unions that are resisting that kind of reform. There's politicians. There's a a whole host of reasons why certain states don't do it. I've always been of the opinion that states that aren't embracing this reform and change today, 10 years from now, will be states that will be left behind. Yes. Right? Because their kids are not, they're not going to have a system that is even close to to what other states have that have made these reforms. Do you agree with that?
1: I do. I, I think the world is changing in interesting ways. And I I'll just say this, the amount of money that we spend on American education is kind of staggering. Uh, The federal government does a report about what the average spending is per student, and it's always several years delayed. So we don't know what the average is this particular year. But my guess is by the time the report's released, we're spending about $20,000 per kid per year right now with many districts spending over $100,000. You're talking about very serious amounts of money on a per pupil basis. And compared to, let's say, our European allies, uh, Germany, France, Britain, they're closer to like $8,000. And so even on a global perspective, we're almost 3x what they're spending. But, um, and it goes up about 10% a year, so it vastly outpaces inflation. But compared to some of the other alternatives in the marketplace, private schools on average cost $10,000, about half. Uh, people who are in micro schools are spending about $4,500. People who are homeschooling are usually spending about $2,500. Those options are significantly cheaper. And so my guess is y- the policy, you know, will help drive changes. But my guess is you see this rise of alternative education, these, these options that are both better quality, but are also substantially cheaper going on. If you're a state that's holding out, <laughs> that's saying like we don't want it to modernize, we'd like to stay in yeah. a hundred year old model. <laughs> Eventually let's uh, we're in California. It's a good example. <laughs> right. You're going to look at Arizona and the quality and the diversity of experience, the pluralism that's going on in Arizona is going to be vastly superior to the point it's going to attract talent. It's going to change people's lives. And and those models are going to bleed over <laughs> into these other states. Mm-hmm. It's going to drive pressure that's going to force change
0: one yeah. way or another. It's just a question. So of eventually we... it's going to come. Yeah. Eventually it's going to come. And I agree with that. I think. But there will be this period where there those states are at a big disadvantage in their education system. Yes. So,
1: as you, as you said, the largest lobbying forces in the country are teachers unions, and and they're not just going to sit there and watch the market move. They're going to do everything right. they can to get the government to stop that from
0: happening. Yeah. Um, you talked about individualization of education, right? And that's truly what this is about. Is uh, we talked about no two kids are the same. Some kids have. Um, you know, different needs. They learn differently. We, we've had on this show uh, a, a guy who started a, a school for ADHD boys, and he said, look, people with ADHD, particularly boys, they can't sit in a classroom and learn. They're not going to. We, But they learn great if you go to the zoo. They learn great if you go to the National Forest or you, you know, take them places. But there are other kids, that, that, that would be a disaster for them, right? They probably can't. So what's, uh, that's what's really important here, right, is driving that innovation in education because it's one of the areas we just haven't had it.
1: Right, exactly. And, and you think of some of the other parts of our experience as human beings, like what, what makes for great food experience in the country? Well, it's the fact that I can go to you know, thousands of restaurants here right. just in town. <laughs> and if I don't like where I'm eating, I can go somewhere else instantly, right? Yeah. And everybody who starts up a restaurant is incentivized to try something different. And, and what that does is allows me as a customer to find a different experience everywhere until I find the one that's right for me or the ones that are right for me. Mm-hmm. And, and we've had the opposite of that culture in schools. I, I reference math. We keep using that one. We've decided there's one true way to teach math. Well, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know we all learn differently. Yeah. We're all in the dependency sequence. We're all in different skill set ranges. But you know, some of us learn better with our hands. You put me into a construction project, I'm going to kill it in math. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You put me on a political campaign where I'm calculating out votes, I'm going to do great. You put me in th- or theoretical calculus, and my head's going to explode, and I'm going to walk out. Mm-hmm. Right? I, it's just a different learning style. Some people can sit and listen to lectures great. Some people can't. And so what you need is not to say there's one true way and every kid must do this because this is what the science says. Mm -hmm. We want to use science, of course, but we want to do it in a way that meets every individual's unique learning style.
0: Yeah. Are there countries? I mean, there are states that are doing it better, and that's what's so great about America is all of these little models that we have. They can all do it different and we'll learn from it. But are there countries that are doing it better than the United States educating kids? Uh, almost everybody. Almost everybody. <laughs> well, it, uh, it depends on how you want to look
1: at it. Yeah. So, I would, it really depends on what you think the purpose of education is, mm-hmm. right? If the purpose of education is to uh, prepare kids to live a good life and then to be able to go out and create businesses and jobs, America's still doing very well. We still lead the world in terms of the number of patents that we produce, the number of innovations. People have great economic mobility here relative to global scales. And so in that regard, it's doing fine. I think if if the question is, how are we doing relative to, let's say, standardized test scores? We're down in the mid-30s, high 40s, depending on which one you look at. Um, But I would think of it in terms of what's the human experience like. Right? Are people happy (laughs) with that one? And in that regard, uh, man, you've got countries like India that uh, really have a dynamic environment at this point. Just so many entrepreneurs trying so many different ways of teaching students. Uh, that's really impressive. Uh, a lot of the European countries that we tend to think of as more government controlled and more mandated actually have a lot more freedom. So these, these places like Utah and Arizona that are modernizing and moving to say, hey, you can go to any kind of school you want. The European countries, a lot of them have already been there for decades and so, in, in some regards, we're just starting to catch up to where they've already. So,
0: been. what? Are, so, give me an example, of like in India or in you know some some European country. What are they? What are they doing? Give me an example of maybe the, a way in which they're modeled and doing better at education.
1: Yeah, you could think of um, a lot of these as, as similar to like a voucher program, which is I would argue not as dynamic as the ESAs or the personal tax credits coming online now, but. They'll they'll essentially say, hey, look, we'll provide a public school, but if you want to go to the public school down the street, that's totally fine. If you want to go to a Jewish day school, if you want to go to an Islamic mob, we don't really care. We just care that you get educated. And so they allow those funds to be portable. To move from place to place and so the kid's able to go that way yeah and in, in a lot of states in america in particular we say this is the public school you must go to sure and if you don't go there then we're going to have some kind of punishment and in some states even jail people for not going yeah, to the school
0: there's right. Right, because you live in this zip code, you have to go to this school. That's yeah, crazy. That's it. Right. Yeah.
1: And and that one to me always blows my mind. Right. We don't do that with public pools or parks or hospitals or any public service we have. If if I walked into the public library and they're like, "Do you live here?" No, get out of here. Right. <laughs> we would all be like, "What is this?" Yeah. <laughs> but we do that in public schools. I, I find right. that really peculiar. There's nothing nothing truly public about that approach. Yeah.
0: Mind. So t- let's talk about what is the difference then between, because for people who've been in this battle for a long time, and there have been people, I have a friend, uh, Steve Shuck in Colorado Springs, who, I mean, I he's been fighting this battle for 60 years, probably. Yep. Um, people t- used to talk a lot about vouchers. Now they talk about ESAs, education savings accounts. What's the difference?
1: Yeah, the, the difference is, Uh, essentially who's in control, right? And so in a voucher program, and this is, you mentioned George W. Bush, so I'll just frame this up. In the old school version of education reform, it basically said the problem is not that we're asking people to comply with what the government wants, problem is that they're not complying, and so what we need is competition to make them comply better. Mm-hmm. And so almost every program design, like a voucher, was, hey, I'll give you three choices, and whoever, you know, whoever gets the best compliance wins. The, the approach here that's actually starting to win and is galvanizing the momentum across the country says that's the wrong model. What we should be doing is flipping the customer away from the government and towards the family to say, what does the family want? And that's what we're going to facilitate. And so some of it's a, a decision rights question there, right? Should the government be making the decision or should the family? And then some of it just comes down to raw practicality. So in a voucher, the government is saying you go to a Catholic school or a private school or a public school. There's your three choices. Pick them. In an ESA program, we're saying, look, you could have Thousands of options. You want to go out and say, "I want to buy a Comod, which is a math tutoring service." I want to go to an athletics club, a soccer uh, club. I want to uh, be able to go to an after-school program, whatever. It's saying, you know, education's got a very broad interpretation. You can pick from many thousands of those options. Go for it. And and in things like a personal tax credit, it's quite literally saying, "Look, it's your money. You spend it how you want," and it's giving people complete freedom.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's amazing what's happened I think over the last couple of years and I mean COVID obviously I think really did exacerbate that. Um so there're states that are out there that w- well people would say well what happens if uh you know if if a school is bad what what happens if a ba- if it's a bad school?
1: Yeah, if it's a private school it's going to shut down, right? People will stop going. Right. Yeah. yeah. If it's a public school it's going to get a lot more money all of a sudden.
0: Yeah. It's, well and that's the perverse incentive right oh, 100% right. yeah so um let's talk about the issue cuz this used to be the big bugaboo which always amazed me but they would say well you know there was the blaine amendment and there were all these arguments that you can't you can't give you know tax dollars to a to a religious school or whatever. never mind the fact that we have the Pell Grant program which you can take and go to Notre Dame University, which is a Catholic university or you know to any of the uh, Christian universities or that you can take a government student loan and go do that. Um, but it seems like we've kind of finally broken through that silly argument that somehow, it's the tax dollar is important to not go to that. Have we have we finally crossed that and we're over that now? Yeah. So for a long time,
1: yeah, that was the key argument. Uh, essentially, they were suing and saying the First Amendment uh, prohibits the establishment of a religion and these programs would establish whatever church you're going yeah. to. Yeah. And there was a string of lawsuits that all ended up at the Supreme Court that said that's the wrong interpretation of the First Amendment. The First Amendment says you can't compel somebody to have to learn a certain religion. It does not say that you therefore have to exclude people from learning
0: any religion. Sure. And that case, that Supreme Court, is that what's ended that discussion for us finally?
1: Uh, For the most part. There's still some nuance that's out there. So essentially... The original argument was you can't have any religious affiliation at all. And so you could be um, a Catholic school or a Protestant school or whatever, and teach absolutely no religion at all, and they would have excluded you from these programs simply because you were affiliated with religion. Mm-hmm. and And the court has said that's you absolutely can't just uh, discriminate against uh, religious entities from American mm-hmm. society. Yeah, And so there were several court cases to that end. Nobody has litigated the question of could you teach? Um, you know, religious topic on that one. And so it it would not shock me to see somebody try to litigate it, but I doubt that that would happen.
0: Yeah. Education savings accounts, ESAs, they're, they're, they're good. They're awesome. And we've made great progress there, but that's still not the end goal, is it? Not even close. Right. So what's the end goal on education? What do we want education to be in America?
1: Yeah. Education should work again, just like any other sector of our lives. And so what we want is a free market. We've had a nationalized education system, right? The government has controlled every function. It tells families, you will show up at the school. <laughs> this is the teacher you will have. This is what you will learn, how long you will learn it for. And then we'll give you a test. And if you don't comply, then we will tell you you're a failure and you're not going to have any opportunities. <laughs> right. Couldn't imagine a more coercive, aggressive system right. if you tried. Right. What an ESA does, or again, a personal tax credit, is move to kind of a mixed economy, right? Is to say, okay, look, we're going to give you the money. We're going to have a, a large government subsidy and and allow you to have freedom to start figuring this out. There's no doubt that that's objectively better, right? right. Way better
0: yeah. than
1: the previous system. But it's going to have problems. Uh, think of like your health savings account. Has health savings accounts fixed the healthcare system? No. (laughs) Right. It still has fundamental flaws. Right. So in order for us to reach the full potential for what education can be, we've got to move to a free market, which means complete freedom for entrepreneurs to create whatever education option they want, complete freedom for families to buy whatever product or service they want, and no no government middleman in between those two things. And so, you know, ESA is probably a a decent step towards the freedom for families. Hasn't really touched the entrepreneurship side at all. Relatively speaking. And so it's very difficult. If you're trying to create a micro school or a pod, you're going to run into all sorts of childcare regulations, all sorts of private school regulations, not to mention the usual fire codes and things that businesses always have to deal with. And so I think to get to where we want to go, we've got to figure out how to get it to be much easier to say, I. I'm a math teacher and I've got a better way to teach math, right? I'm going to teach the Construction School of Mathematics or I'm going to teach the Science School of Mathematics or whatever that is. It's got to come way down. Um, Maybe if it's a good, helpful example, charter schools for a long time have been considered the bastion of innovation. You know, to get a 500-person charter school costs $10 million and usually takes about a year to 18 months of regulation to get through that's before you do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. That's just to right. get a building going. And, and that's one of the reasons you don't see this just huge uh, array of entrepreneurs jumping in the space. And so if we can get that down to where it's like starting a coffee shop, hey, math teacher for whatever, 15 grand, <laughs> you can go down to the corner store and open your deal and, and you know put your shingle out and try to, to make the case. I can teach math better for your kid. Awesome. And then you you, know, you need the freedom for the families to be able to move there and get there. Yeah. And and ESAs, again, we think is a really good step to get there. But first, they've got to work, right? The implementation has got to be good. We can't have this be like healthcare got or gov, where it was right. just bumpy on the rollout. <laughs> right. like it's got to work. <clears throat> and then two, got to keep moving far beyond where we're at today. And that's, again, you're starting to see, I, I keep referencing this personal tax credit. That's probably the next leap past ESAs where it's going to say, hey, look, you you paid into the system, take your money back, and go use it. I think that's just probably the na- next natural progression. We see 10 states have proposals for yeah. that this year. I, I think you'll just continue to see a gradual evolution until families have complete freedom uh, as well.
0: Yeah. What, what would you say to the person who says, well, yeah, but think of that. If you just have some guy who thinks he's good at math and he goes down in the corner and— t- you know, there's going to be shysters, there's going to be all of that, right? Of course. So what How do you answer that?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, this is a uh, reference to restaurants earlier. We'll just keep using that as an yeah, analogy. There's
0: shysters there. 100%, yeah. right? <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> what happens to the shyster, though, who goes, you know, look, the guy who goes and opens a, a restaurant with white bread and, and cheese and slaps them together and throws out the Right. People eat there once and are like, this is horrible. Right. <laughs> right? They but go out of business. Yeah. 100%. They yeah. jump on Yelp, they go on Google reviews, they one-star, and that's pretty much the end of that, Like, Yeah. The, the market usually corrects for that in a rapid hurry.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and the same thing would happen here, right? If you're trying to teach people a better way to math and they have freedom to leave, if it doesn't work, if it doesn't work, they're going to leave, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and I think this is a really important point just to hammer home on is a lot of people talk about accountability. This hold no child left behind and then race to the top. The premise of that was, was politicians saying, we need to bring accountability to the system. Well, what are you talking about? Right? What do you mean by accountability? Who's being held accountable? And and what they said is, well, we're going to create all these t- standardized test scores, and then we're going to like we're going to make sure our funding's attached to them. We're going to hold people's feet to the fire. Well, that's garbage. the Let's take the city of Baltimore as an example. You had twenty three schools where not one kid was proficient. So I'm not talking about one school. I'm talking about one kid. Not one of them was proficient. Yeah. So who's accountable in that in that system? Is the principal held accountable? The teachers? The superintendent? School board, like who? The answer is nobody. Right. So the the whole testing regime, this whole accountability system we set up that we spend many millions of dollars on, nobody's accountable. Nothing changes. Yeah. The kids who show up this year will probably not be proficient yeah. either. Yeah. What is real accountability? Real accountability is this doesn't work. I'm walking out. <laughs> yeah. I'm taking my money with me. Yeah. That's what actually holds people accountable to say, okay, if you're a shyster, you don't you don't in business anymore. Yeah. We right. need real accountability. We can't have the fake accountability that we have today. And we've got to convince politicians. Families already know this. If you ask family, who's accountable? They'll tell you. Nobody. Right? You're like, what about all these crazy apparatuses, the school grading reports and the standard? I don't know what it is. I don't care. And the teachers clearly hate it. And my kids hates it. Yeah. Families already don't want it. It's politicians that are confused about what this is. Yeah. we got to get politicians to realize real accountability is a marketplace. That's what you need to put in place and get rid of this
0: whole fake apparatus. Yeah. Yeah. The, the whole testing issue, and I'll, I'll sort of end with this, but the whole testing issue is, is amazing because people will say, you know, we got kids that are, you know, in eighth grade, they're 40% of our kids are proficient in math and they cheer about 40% of kids being proficient in math, which of course means that 60% of the kids are not proficient in math, yes. right? By any account, that's a failing grade. We're failing our kids. Yes. But- They'd literally cheer that because the number isn't 17% proficient in math. That's the problem with the system.
1: That's it. Right, yeah. they're they're hoping that blindly transparency will magically yield accountability. Right, that's not how it works. Yeah. Right, like this giant decision by committee exercise yeah. doesn't drive change. Or if it does, it does for a very short burst, right. and the natural gravity settles back in, and we just go back into this mediocrity. Right, why again? Why do great restaurants thrive? Why does any great business thrive? It's because they care a lot about their customer. When you walk in the door of a great restaurant. That person's going to grab you and say, I'm so glad that you're here today. Come, let's have a seat. Is your experience great? There's constant, when you think about testing, constant testing, right? Did you enjoy your food? Did you enjoy the service? Have you enjoyed all? Yes, yes, great. They care not about the aggregate. They care about you as an individual, what your experience was. You leave a review. A great business goes on to your review and says, hey, man, I'm sorry you had a bad review. Let me help you. Let me fix it. Let's do right by you. Right. That's not what happens in education today, but it's what should happen, and it could happen if we'll just embrace
0: them market. Right. Awesome. Uh, if folks want to know more about Yes Every Kid, how do they find out about what you do?
1: Yeah, you go to Twitter and just look us up. Yes, every kid's a very unique name. It's I promise, out X, there. By the way <laughs> Yeah, now it's arcs, right? That's true. It is yeah. X. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody knows how that yeah,
0: is Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. No. Go ahead. Uh, or go or go to yeseverkid.com and you can check us out there. Yeah. Well, you're doing great work. It's innovation. It's 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 the time in America to make all this change. So I appreciate that you guys are are fighting and doing that. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for all the support. You got it. All right. Well, listen, this, we have talked so much about this issue because it matters to so many people. And America is, uh, you know, we do so many things well in America with the free market. Every time the government gets involved, it creates barriers uh, that that really are hard to overcome. And that's what this program is about. Of course, the show is about breaking down those government imposed barriers. And when we talk about that, I'll tell you what, the ones they, erect in K-12 education are staggering. It's amazing that we even uh, have such a great higher education system from the standpoint of uh, educating kids, given what we do in K-12 through education. Listen, liberty and freedom, go out and fight for them. Go out and fight for your kids. Fight for their education. You've been doing that in droves over the last several years, particularly since COVID. Thanks for doing that, and thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to American Potential.
1: You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom
0: and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.